From shamans to scientists, mediums to masterminds, cannabis to LSD. Spark joy, spark curiosity, Mm. and spark a joint. Because you're listening to... Hello, friends, and welcome to the Budding Mind Podcast. I'm Brooke Bergstaller, and today's guest is Corinne Loperfido, who is a walking explosion of color, creativity, and charisma. I am terribly inspired by her lifestyle. She's a visual artist, costume designer, decluttering doula, and environmental activist living in a divinely whimsical tiny home, which she designed and built. Corinne is truly, madly, deeply a renaissance woman of our time. In 2017, she created Pussy Powerhouse, radically inclusive events that celebrate expression, healing, and the earth. She's one of the artists behind the Trash Temple at Santa Fe's Meow Wolf. She teaches folks about everything from going zero waste to practicing self-love through masturbation. And surely, she's going to teach us all a whole heck of a lot today, so let's get to it already. All right, Corinne! Thank you so much for being here. I am a first-time caller, long-time listener. I was very proud of myself for thinking of that because I have been following you on Instagram for quite some time, and I was first introduced to your colorful, effervescent spirit through Pussy Powerhouse, which is a collective of events for healers and uh, educators and artists and things of the sort. And I'm curious how that was born into the world through you. Where did sacred twerks workshops and plant magic workshops come from in that beautiful brain of yours? I started doing Pussy Powerhouse in 2016 when the Trump election was happening. And I wanted to create a space for women and all people. I mean, everybody could come to the events only if the things were like specifically about pussy related health things. Sometimes on an occasion, I would do an event that was only for people that had that anatomy, just so that people could like speak about that and feel comfortable. You know, not everyone wants to like talk about their pussy problems in a room full of mixed company. So um, yeah, I did these public facing events and I would come up with the theme and then invite other people to participate in whatever the theme was I would be like okay this is the theme who has something to contribute and so by changing the theme all the time that allowed other people to get involved and so instead of having the same because I feel like so many parties are like the same basic thing all the time you know same basic people and by changing the theme and like occasionally changing the location uh I was able to get all different people always rotating through that's kind of how I used event, you know, production to create community because even if people weren't involved in every single one, they could still come whenever they could and still meet people and, you know, have some kind of engagement. Yes. Be welcomed into the pussy powerhouse. And it is obviously it's, you know, a somewhat bold name. I wish people could see your incredible attire right now. Some people will be able to. You've got beautiful bows on your head and handmade jewelry adorning your neck and the most amazing backdrop of your tiny home. You're like very outwardly expressive. You're very forward with that. And one of the missions that I heard you say online is that either through the events that you throw or the work that you do in the world, you want to help people overcome familial and societal guilt and shame that they feel so that they can live this empowered and self-expressive life. Is this 
easy for you now? Was it always easy for you? Like, it, it seems easy for you right now, but do you still experience any of that familiar societal shame or guilt? Do you combat against those, um, that mental chatter? Or are you kind of, you know, rooted down into this, this version of you? Well, I think that it's a journey for everybody and people have different upbringings. And so for me, growing up in a small town without any weird people or art, you know, in my life whatsoever, I think that it takes a long time and to find your people unless you're trying to live a mainstream life. But I think everybody struggles to find their people in different ways. And so for me, like once I moved out of my parents' house and went to college, I ended up working at this queer owned bookstore and ended up making a bunch of friends, uh, just people that I had never met, you know, I had never met people like this before. And so it was like, wow, like people can dress colorful and wear weird clothes. And, you know, I felt like I finally like had a group of friends where I could, you know, look the way I wanted to look and it wouldn't be like I was the only person. Um, yeah. Not that it necessarily stops me to be the only person um, doing something. But as far as like, you know, you said, like, did this come naturally or not? And I feel like people have an inclination one way or another to either be like, I just want to fit in. I don't want to rock the bow. I just want to be liked by everybody. So I'm not going to step out of line. And for me, I was like, why would I want to be liked for everybody, but not for myself? You know what I mean? And so my policy, both with my personal appearance and also with my events and you know you're like oh pussy powerhouse is a bold name but to me i'm just like well but the people that are attracted to it that want to come they're going to be the kind of people i want to hang out with and so instead of watering myself or my ideas down i've just chosen to go the opposite way and be like no i'm going to do whatever sounds fun to me and certainly there's going to be people that fuck with it and people that don't and for the people that do, then they're also going to be like, I'm so excited to like see someone else doing this because it makes me feel comfortable to do it as well. And so I think that, you know, people are less basic than they give themselves credit for. I think people <laughs> think that they want to fit in. And I'm just like, well, but if it's not your true self, then what are you fitting into? It's kind of like you're presenting a fake version of yourself to be liked by people that are potentially, you know, putting forth a fake version of themselves as well. And so I was just kind of like, well, you know what? There's going to be people that don't like it. There's going to be people that are like, look at this clown in a negative way. And there's going to be people that are like, look at my fellow clown, like let us, you know, work together. And so, I mean, I, I don't find it to be a struggle because I, I would find it to be a struggle to maintain a fake uh, persona of myself, if that makes sense. And so even though I'm not everybody's personal flavor, I have no shortage of friends. You play with a lot of different colors in your palette. And as you were speaking, it reminds me of, you know, you've heard the stories of um, young queer children or Latina children who finally get to see themselves represented in television and in film, and it makes them feel safe to fully embody who they are. And I think you're one of these iconic figures. Like you are just like throwing spaghetti at the wall, technicolored rainbow spaghetti at the wall. And you give people the feeling of like wind beneath their wings of like, okay, well, 
you know, if, if she made a tiny home, maybe I could make a tiny home. If she went waste-free, maybe I could go waste-free. If she took a photo with her titties out, maybe I could do that. Uh, <laughs> and so that's another aspect of self-expression that you really push forward and that you speak about is this fully, like, free, sexually liberated woman. And again, like, I've seen photos of you. You guys check them out. Corinne makes absolutely incredible wearable artwork. And one of the photos that I saw of you in New Orleans was so epic. You were wearing like a fishnet leotard and a tons of tons of baubles and necklaces and earrings and all these things. But you had this uh, cutout cardboard glittered vulva that was hanging over, you know, your own lady bits. And it was so, it was just so gorgeous and and intense and like feminine and like just grotesque all at once. It was so in my face. How did you get here and how do you want to advocate for other people, you know, not beyond women to find that liberation in their own selves? Hmm. I wonder what picture it was. God, it could have been anything. (laughs) Um, You're like, there's a couple of those. (laughs) I don't even know. Uh, yeah. How, how did I get there? Or how do I advocate for other people to do it? Um, hmm. like you have these self-love workshops that I saw on your website where you're helping women find comfortability with masturbation and ritual in like self-pleasure. I mean, that's pretty, it's, it's just, uh, yeah, it's not common. It's Hmm. amazing. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, um, ever since I was a kid, like in school, I was always the one to raise my hand and be like, I know the answer, you know, and I feel like so many people are shy or they don't want to, they're like afraid of being wrong or afraid of, people are just afraid of all different kinds of judgments and stuff. And I just feel like if you're not out there trying something out, then, you know, how joyful is a life of playing it safe? And so in that same uh, kind of vein of being like, okay, I know the answer. Like, let's talk about it. Like, let's move on. Let's not just sit here and play stupid. Like I knew other people in the class knew the answer. And sometimes the teacher had to be like, anybody but Corinne know the answer. And so, um, same thing with my events (laughs) and the themes, you know, it's just kind of like, oh, the, we're living in this world where the president, I mean, I've been doing like sexual empowerment, you know, queer liberation spaces, you know, since way before Trump was in office. But I think that that really pushed it to the forefront of so many people's minds in a way where more people were like, it was kind of like a last straw moment where people might have previously been like, oh, I'm just shy. You're like, I don't want to get into all of that. But then when people started to feel like their rights could be taken away, then I think more people were like open to being in your face about it or just, you know, talking about things that would be otherwise kind of pushed under the rug. And so, yeah, doing workshops, um, doing the self-love ritual workshop, it would just be like me and a bunch of women sitting around talking about masturbation. And I would have a bunch of different prompts and people would like pick, you know, pick a question out of the hat and then they would tell a story about it. Like when was the first time you masturbated or, what, uh, like, what is an elaborate setup that you do that when you're like, I really want to please myself. These are all the steps, you know, that go into, I do this and then I do this. And so just kind of giving people uh, like female masturbation is just not a topic that really gets talked about. 
Mm-hmm. So I was like, but people, you know, do it. And so it's like, why do we not talk what? about it? And it's because no one's out there being like, I'm willing to talk about it. Come over here if you want to talk about it. And so that's why I'm just like, well, all these issues have to be addressed. Abortion, periods, you know, menstruation, masturbation, sex, all this stuff. And and also, you know, bringing in the environmental aspects as well, because it's like there's no sex on a dead planet. So we kind of have to, like, tackle a bunch Ooh. of issues at once and be like, okay, we need to be empowered, but also like we actually all need to be composting and we need to be more aware of our shopping choices and like doing the zero waste thing. And I'm sure we'll get into this later, but it's like, you know, it's a lot of effort and it's not, there's no purism in anything. And a lot of times too, like things I'm talking about are things that I'm also learning and learning my own boundaries and what's realistic. And so I'm not over here like I'm you know, having great sex every day and never creating any plastic waste and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, everything, everything comes in waves. And sometimes you're going to be up and sometimes you're going to be down. And sometimes you have more ability to have resources or experience, you know, than other people, depending on your own life and all the factors. And so, yeah, I, I do what I can when I can. And I hope that other people, you know, yeah, can do the same for, for themselves and their situation. Oh my goddess, I love how you so organically tied in sustainability and sex. That is a beautiful immersion of brands. And you're absolutely right. I mean, sustainability is relevant to all things because you cannot do anything on the earth if there is no earth. So let's talk about that. Obviously, you are very starting with uh, fashion because you're a very fashion forward person and uh you know, I follow you on Instagram where you're always doing, you're offering like custom costumes or headpieces or headdresses where you'll make wearable artwork from recycled materials. You also do a lot of like giveaway sales or not giveaway sales, but on Instagram, you'll do like thousands of stories of uh, clothes that you no longer want anymore and you'll ship them out because sustainable fashion and a closed cycle is obviously very important to you. How did those things start to merge from you? What's that origin story of, you know, your clothing being, yeah, eco-conscious? Well, I mean, first of all, one of the biggest environmental issues that we have is the textile industry. And so, but all the problems are interrelated, as I was saying. So it's like, well, why is the water polluted? Because we are using these toxic dyes and processing leather and synthetic materials and then pumping that wastewater into the water systems. And then the food gets messed up and then people have cancer and like the, you know, the flora and fauna that's around the water can't sustain its life because it's empoisoned. And so it's like when you zoom out of your own individual, uh, you know, sure, you go to the store, you buy a shirt. Well, it's like, where did that shirt come from? Who was harmed and how many resources were used? And what is like the dark side basically of buying, buying anything, whether it's food or clothes or, you know, a new mouse pad on Etsy or something (laughs) like, so everything has an origin. And for me, um, like I said, growing up really rural without a lot of people around before the internet, uh, and, and wanting, like knowing that I was different and wanted to be an artist and trying to figure out how to do that. 
um, I started shopping at the thrift store. Well, my parents like wouldn't, they wouldn't even like buy anything at old Navy, which is not even expensive, but like for some reason they were like, no, we're getting everything at TJ Maxx or the thrift store, even though it's like the same price, but like, whatever. I, I thank them for it. My parents are definitely like into, like I grew up my whole life going to antique shows and mm-hmm. estate sales and yard sales and picking stuff up on the side of the road. And so I already was raised in, in that environment. Um, but also I just found so much more fun stuff at the thrift store. And so I was like, if the clothes are better, they're cheaper and I'm not supporting new fast fashion, you know, bad, bad business practices and bad environmental practices. Like why would I buy new stuff? I mean, I buy new underwear and shoes. Okay, there's exceptions. <laughs> yeah, like, but when I buy underwear, I usually trade with fellow artists that make underwear. And you know what I mean? Like, sometimes I'll buy it or sometimes they they want something from me. And so then it's like, and I know that not everyone has that opportunity. And so my life is unique. And also I've created it to be that way. Like, I've made it a point to go out and like, you know, the sweater I'm wearing was made by a friend. The The headband was like something my friend was getting rid of. And so just to touch on the thing about the sales, um, basically the reason I had the big sale was because I was addicted to the flea market and I was living in LA and I was doing costume design and styling and there was just flea markets all the time and I could just go and things were so cheap. Like I knew what they were worth. But I was also just like, oh, what's, what's $5 here and there? What's $10? I was like, well, it adds up to be a lot of money. And then you have to store it all. And so as I was like, I had my stuff in storage. Like when I did my year of trying not to buy things or create trash in 2018, I ended up moving out of my house and buying a van and putting all my stuff in storage. And I would come and go from the storage unit and utilize stuff. But ultimately, after three years, I was like, okay. I'm ready to like not have all my stuff in California anymore. I want to be lighter and have my life be cheaper. And I was paying like, you know, $200 a month for a storage unit that I would only access a couple months out of the year. So I was like, I'm obviously living perfectly fine without all this stuff. So like, why am I paying thousands of dollars to just like keep it? And so I was like, okay, well, it's time to let some stuff go. And so, yes, that was a five week long term, like, huge getting rid of tons of things that I had and very, very little of it went to the thrift store. Like a couple bags got donated after I tried posting on Instagram multiple times and no one wanted it. I was like, okay, well, eventually you have to, you know, quit. And so (laughs) it was my favorite show on the internet, by the way, Uh (laughs) it was my favorite show on the internet. I loved it. Oh, so many people were like, this was the best thing ever. Because when I started it, it was in the pandemic summer, number one. And I was like, everyone's broke. Like, who's going to even buy stuff? But I got to try. And then it turned out that everyone was like, this is hilarious. And I love it. And I ended up selling almost everything. And that was great because then I could use that money and put it into my tiny home. And also I got to feel so happy that so many people wanted this stuff and they were excited about it. And it's not that I didn't like it. I liked all of it. That's why I bought it all. But the point is I was trying to downsize and I was like, okay, well, you have to be selective and only you can only fit so much. So change your priorities and be like, what can I fit and what do I need to sell? And so 
there are definitely some things that I had to sell that I didn't want to, but just, they're just big and yeah. living in a tiny space. You have to kind of value everything in a different way. It's not like, Oh, how much did I pay for this? And how often do I use it? But it's also like, how big is it? Like if I only use it once every couple of years, like some big costume stuff that I would wear on a very rare occasion, but they took up a lot of space. I was like, well, I got to let that go. And I can always make another one or I can be like, I'm glad I got it for a short time and now someone else can enjoy it. They can have it for a time and they can pass it on. So it's yeah. really for me just about taking care of the things that already exist on this earth. And then when you're done with it, that doesn't mean that it's, it's life is over time for the landfill. It's time for it to find someone else that wants to enjoy it because we're not going to stop people wanting new things. People are always going to want new things, but the way that we go about how we acquire and use things when they're in our possession. And then what do we do with them when we don't want them anymore? That is what can help people be more environmentally conscious is to take really good care of the things that they have and then make sure they use them and repair them until either, you know, they basically need to be like cut up and turn into rags or sent to the textile recycler or sent to the landfill. Or, if they're like, okay, like I got my use out of this and there's still life in it, I'm going to make sure that it gets to someone else. And so it is definitely more work to be responsible, but also, mm. you know, I'll just say what I said again before, like we don't have anything if we kill the planet and poison all the water and deplete the soil of nutrients, you know what I mean? It's like, we're living in an idiocracy world already and it's going to get worse if we don't all change the way that we relate to things and be more grateful for what we have. Absolutely. I had read something else that you had shared, which was only buy what you can mend, only bring into your life what you're willing to take care of and see through for its whole life cycle. I even did some spring cleaning in my house the other day, and it's very easy for me to get rid of things. But having that final thought of, okay, like, cool, I'm getting rid of it. I'm downsizing, but how am I consciously like seeing this through to its final step in the most mindful and thoughtful way? Um, yeah, I think there's like a bit of a disconnect for me personally there. And even in like the Marie Kondo movement, it's very easy to let things go, but that's even contributing to waste outside of your own environment. And so you actually, as you mentioned, I'm not sure, I think you said 2018, 2019, you can clarify, but you went a whole year uh, with a zero waste mission. And so, yeah, I would love to hear, I feel like it's clear what inspired that, contributing to the betterment of the <clears throat> planet's health, but what the fuck was that journey like for you? How difficult was it? And do you have any tips for people who maybe, I don't know if going zero waste is on everyone's bucket list, even though it should be, but do you have any tips for people to incorporate some less waste mentalities? Well, yeah. I mean, first of all, zero waste is not possible. Like there's always waste. And I think that, yeah, you, have to poop. you know, some people have a problem with that um, name or phrase because they're like, they think that it means that you don't create any trash. And I'm just like, no, that's not the case. But if we're, it's kind of like if the speed limit is 80, people are going to go 85 or 90. But if you set the speed limit <laughs> at 90, they're going to go 95 or 100. So if I say low waste, then I'm only going towards low. But if I say zero, then I'm like, okay, that's my goal. 
and it makes you like push harder towards the goal. It doesn't mean that you're going to achieve it. You know what I mean? But it's, you have to orient yourself towards what the, the ideal goal was or else you're only going to totally. get partway there. Um, so yeah, the year of not buying things and creating trash uh, was inspired by this movie called The Clean Bin Project, which was like a little documentary that this couple did where they were like, we're each going to try to not buy things or create trash for the year. And they each had a little garbage can under the sink with their name on it. And anytime that they did create trash, they had to like put it in the bin. And then at the end of the year, they like went through and showed it all and explained like why they made the trash that they made. And so, you know, it's definitely a lot harder now, like with the pandemic, so many things that you used to be able to get. And some things have come back and some things are just, People are still like, no, you can't bring your own cup. You can't bring your own container. Like, you know, we have to put it in a plastic thing. And so that's where you have to look at your life and your needs and like what was available to you in your area. Because, you know, I live in a major city with access to tons of healthy grocery stores. That is not everybody's life whatsoever. And so that's where it's also not realistic to be like, oh, everybody can do this because some people live in the middle of nowhere and they have like one local grocery store and they might not have half the stuff unpackaged. And so that's where mm -hmm. it's like each person has different ways that they can contribute based on what their situation is. And so, you know, the, the reason why I think that the combination of like not creating trash and not buying things, I was allowed to buy things if they helped me be better at zero waste. So I bought some like, metal lunchbox containers and just like different there wasn't very much um i also like sold my little car and bought a van because i was like you know doing events and traveling all the time and flying on airplanes which is uses a lot of resources to fly on an airplane and then i was like if i actually had a van and i could strategize my travel in such a way where i was hitting all these different places on the route then you know what I mean? I also wouldn't be staying at friends' houses or hotel. Not that I really stayed at hotels very much anyway, but like I had my it own It helped veggies. your discipline. Yeah, like I had my own stuff and I had my own towel and I didn't need to like have some, like I also think about like when, you, when you're traveling and you're on the road and you're staying in a hotel or an Airbnb or at your friend's house, that's a lot of laundry when you're like sleeping on the sheets one time, you know what I mean? And so it's like, I just thought about the bigger picture of my lifestyle. But, but of course I was using gas, you know what I mean? So it's like gas is not zero waste. Having a car, even though I bought a used car, like, so that's why I think that it's important for people to not be caught up in this purity aspect of like, oh, well, if I can't do totally zero, then I'm going to do nothing. And so right. it's like, you know, for example, with grocery shopping, uh, meat and cheese, Tell me where to get meat and cheese, not in a package. You know what I mean? So there are some things that I do buy in packaging. And I always ask the deli counter, like, hey, I have my own container. Like, can we do it like this? And sometimes they're like, no. And sometimes they're like, yeah, let me like wrap it up in just the like paper that I use to grab the thing. And then you can put it in your own container. And, and it is something that like makes people uncomfortable. But I'm also just like, I'm just going to stand here and smile and be polite and be like, yeah, but why can't you though? Like, it's really not that big of a deal. Like, let's find a way to do it. And so 
no, nothing is going to change unless people are like pushing at it and making it change. When we're complacent, then things stay the same. And so it's just a, a matter of like reevaluating your priorities. And for me, it's like, do I want a dessert? Is it worth it for me to like buy this one piece of cake in like a big plastic clamshell that I know is going to like be in the landfill, even though it's already going to be in the landfill because it's already made and it's already on the shelf. And so it's like, it's already going to be there, but just as a consumer voting with my dollar and choosing what I personally want to be responsible for by not participating that and going to the bakery case and like getting a pastry and putting it in my own container or like going without, I mean, there's a lot of going without. That's what that year really taught me the most was just like, yeah, you're not going to the flea market. You're not going to the thrift store. Like you're not going to be even able to access all this stuff. And guess what your life, it was like one of the most fun and amazing years of my life, 2018, because I was like, it totally put a kink in my flow. Mm -hmm. And so when you break yourself out of the routine, then all these new possibilities open up for you in life because you still have needs that need to get met. And when you have these rules where you're like, well, I'm not doing that right now, then it pushes you to come up with new ideas and lo and behold, other ways are possible. And so... Yeah, I think that you can turn it into a game if that's how you need to do it to like make yourself, you know, reprogram. But on the opposite side of that, first of all, your level of commitment is obviously admirable. But sometimes I hear naysayers in my own orbit. If I try to commit to like a, a very minor task of like, I'll bring my own straw to the, to the cafe, or I'll bring my own forks and knives, or uh, clean out this cup and, and recycle it. Just like the tiny, tiny things that we, I believe, stack up and become, you know, a larger impact that is meaningful. I do have people in my world who say, but why should I even do the tiny tasks if large corporations, if the government, if Amazon, if Coca-Cola, if Starbucks aren't willing to put forward the big change, then my tiny micro actions don't matter. What wisdom could you spew in response to that? Yeah, I mean, this is definitely a struggle. Both, this is a struggle for everybody because it's like, yeah, we go to these great lengths to try and do what we think is better. But if everybody's not doing it, then yeah, it's like for every straw that I don't use, there's people that like, bought four beverages that day. You know what I mean? Like, so yes, I think that one, one thing that comes to mind and I've used this example before is that, I mean, I don't know how many years ago it was, but when we were kids or something, no one had ever heard of gluten-free and then gluten-free became a thing. And people were like, what's that? And then everybody tried it. And then a bunch of people stayed with it. And a bunch of people were like, I don't need to do that, but I know what it is. And so I feel the same way about zero waste is that people are like, okay, I've heard of that. I'm maybe going to try it and I'm going to find out. Some people are going to be like, yes, this is important. I'm going to do this. And it's like, when I go grocery shopping and I have my bags, I mean, again, it depends on the grocery store. Some places they don't let you bring your own bag to the bulk section. And they're like, right. no, you have to use a disposable bag. And I'm like, well, I'm just going to bring 
little paper bags and I'm going to take care of them and I'm going to like reuse them for months at a time until they like completely, you know, disintegrate. And then I'm going to compost them. So that way, you know, with that particular grocery store that doesn't allow you to fill your own container, I'm still able to not use a single use plastic bag, but it does take more effort on my part. And that's the thing is that the main reason why people don't do stuff is because they're like, well, that's annoying and hard for me. And I'm just like, yeah, our ancestors walked over to the water place, however far away it was, gathered water in a fucking gourd and like carried <laughs> it back to where they needed to go and boil it just so that they could like survive, survive. And so it's like, oh, boo hoo. You have to bring your own fork. Fuck you. Like, it's the least you could do. And so I feel like people need to do as much as they can and they need to get used to going without and they need to get used to not everything being their little convenient single use prepackaged fucking napkin. You know what I mean? It's like I've been carrying a little fork and a spoon and a napkin and chopsticks in my bag for longer than I can remember now. And it's like the amount of disposable silverware that I have not used. And it feels better to eat off of metal silverware. Totally. That's nice. than like disgusting plastic silverware and like, you know, but every once in a while, if I'm eating a messy taco, yeah, I'm going to use a disposable napkin. You know what I mean? Because it's like very messy, but 90% of the time, like I have my cloth napkin, it's fine. And so I feel like, yeah, what to say to those people, it's it's really challenging because it all does feel kind of trivial, to be honest, especially like with the pandemic and the amount of like masks and tests and gloves alone, the amount of waste that has come just from those three things and the amount of like just gas and packaging and wet wipes and all the stuff that has been done in the name of social distancing and like safety it just is like, wow. It just makes you want to roll over and be like, fuck it. Like, what's the point? Like, this is so out of my control. But I feel the reason I brought up the gluten-free example is because everything has to start somewhere. And eventually things do become a trend. And But someone has to start that trend and someone has to be like, hey, this is fun and cool. You want to do it. It's It's cool. And it takes a while. And so, you know, by me doing my groceries, people come up to me and they're like, hey, like, what are you doing? Or how are you doing that? Or I've, I've been thinking about this, but I didn't know what to do. And so it's like dozens and dozens of times have people come up to me at the grocery store and then we've had a conversation. And now that's one more person that is like aware that they have the possibility to mm -hmm. do that. And sometimes they're going to be able to and sometimes they're going to forget their shit and they're going to be in a hurry and they're going to get a plastic bag. So it's like, again, I, I think there's a quote by this woman on Instagram, her, um, her page is called the zero waste chef. And she posted this, you know, just like words on a screen one time that was like, we don't need everyone doing zero. We don't need a few people doing zero waste perfectly. We need everyone doing as much as they can. And so that's what I would say to those people is that it's just like, yeah, I'm not zero waste. Like, absolutely not. Even during that year. I mean, I tried really hard. Like, I was like, well, then I'm not eating meat and cheese. Well, then I'm not, I'm not going to ever buy, you know what I mean? Like, I was really hardcore about it. And then I was like, okay, well, realistically, like me going out to restaurants, even if I have my own 
to-go container for the leftovers. Like, all that food in the restaurants came in packaging. So I can't really be like, oh, I'm I'm doing this. You know what I mean? Unless you're, like, growing all of your own food. But then about, what about olive oil? What about coconut oil? What about, you know, There'll the always plastic be something. bag that... Go ahead. There'll always be something. If you are a member of society, you have to orient yourself towards zero and then be like, okay, what is realistic? And every once in a while, you're going to be like, fuck it. I'm buying ice cream. (laughs) Ice cream's delicious. But I do think whether it's the collective or the individual, it's an offering to the earth. And even if it's just the individual relationship to the planet, that consistent offering it does have meaning in the grand symbiosis of whatever this existence is. And another way that you're contributing to a less than normal waste lifestyle (laughs) is through your tiny home, which I'm getting a glimpse of right now. It's so beautiful. It it seems like it's just customized from fricking head to toe, every doorknob and corner and nook and cranny. What inspired you to take on this very intense project? Tiny home living is super trendy right now. Is it worth it? Mm. Well, I think that it depends on people's uh, people's individual lifestyles. I mean, there's so many reasons. So, you know, I when the pandemic started, I was like, oh, no parties for like a year or two. Like, I'm straight out of business. Like, what the hell am I going to, where am I going to live? What am I going to do? And so I was already planning on moving out of the place I was living uh, like a month before the pandemic. I was already like, okay, I'm leaving and I'm, you know, going away for the summer. And I knew that I wasn't going to move back into that house when I came back. So I was kind of just like suspended in the air being like, oh shit. Like, cause I left the city when the pandemic started and moved out and I was living in my van in the woods and I was still working on trash temple. We were like halfway through working on trash temple at the time. And so I was like, this is not realistic. Like I can't just pack everything up each night in case it rains and work on this art project. And, you know, cause it was like, nobody was sharing a kitchen. I was just like, free balling it in the woods with my little camp stove and a, in a power cord. You know what I mean? Like go girl making it happen. And I was like, yes, this is why I bought my van. But I was like, this is also not, I can't do this. Like I need to be able to like stand up and like have a kitchen that's like over that has like a roof over it. And so I ended up buying a school bus from my friend who was trying to sell it. And it already had wood floor and all the seats were taken out and like some, you know, bookshelves and stuff in it. And I was like, okay, this I can do. And so I lived in the bus for the winter and I was thinking about either, you know, getting a better bus that was less rusty or fixing that bus up or I don't know. I was like, let me, let me figure this out. And then I was ultimately like, this is not big enough. Like, to live and work like in the long term, if I'm going to like invest tens of thousands of dollars into something like I can't live on a school bus because I'm not really going to move it very often. I just as a traveling person who mostly travels in my van in the summer and a few times a year, I'll go do things. But I was like, I just need a home base to come back to something that's manageable. But I don't know where I'm going to settle down long term. Plus, I don't even think that that's realistic with climate change and places changing and getting priced out or natural disasters or all those different reasons why people move. I was like, I don't want a house that's on a standard foundation. I want the freedom to be able to move it. 
And so I watched like a hundred videos probably of different tiny homes. And I was like, how big do I need it to be? What are my needs? Like, do I need a shower inside? Like, do I need a private bathroom? Like, you know, what are all the things that are important to me? And then I ultimately ended up building the house from scratch, getting a new trailer, a new frame. And then with all of the materials, you know, from the sink to the wood to the tables and like as much as I possibly could, I use reclaimed materials. But, you know, again, with that, even with reclaimed materials, there's a ton of waste and you can't build a house on a trailer. Maybe you can build some like ramshackle little cabin very slowly. You know what I mean? If you own property and have a shipping container to store all the supplies for years as you gather it all. But I was like, yo, I need to live in this thing. And I also am like renting a warehouse space where I'm building it. So I got to I got to do this thing. And so because of the timeline, that's why I'm saying like everybody has different resources and availability and are on a different budget and a different timeline. So I built the whole house in five months on any given day. I had like two to sometimes four or five people helping me, um, you know, Monday through Friday all day. And so it was an undertaking for sure. And I had never built anything before. And so um yeah like everybody that was there a part of it was like helping me learn stuff too and we were all learning together and so of course there's things that I would do differently but ultimately you know it works I <laughs> do everything I have my art studio like I've had friends stay over I've had people over for dinner you know what I mean like I'm gonna have right a puppet on. show soon and People are going to sit on the different levels and I'll have the show happening in a different part of the house. And so I just, I wanted to design a building that was like enough space for me. And then also when I'm gone, I can rent it out to other female artists who, you know, either are like writers or do things with fashion, like people that can function in a small space and want to try that out so that they can be like, is this enough space for me? In the same way that I was living on the bus and I was like, this is not enough space for me. For some other people who don't need to have an art studio on their bus, like they might be like, oh yeah, this is totally great and it can work. And so that's why I want people to be able to test it out and live in it and be like, could I do this? And because you really have to try, you're going to live in like under yeah, 300 man. square feet you're going to want to try that for a few months before you like commit to doing it. Because for some people, they might just be like, this is impossible. Like I need to be able to spread out. And you know what I mean? Like I, or I have dogs or I want to live with my partner. Or I have kids. And so I'm like, you know, as an independent person that is not interested in sharing a home, like if I have a partner, I don't want to live with them. <laughs> and I, I don't want kids and I don't want pets. So for me, this can work. You know what I mean? So it's really about people's individual lifestyle. So is it, is it all the hype? I mean, it can be. And some people, you know, I've seen a lot of videos of people. Also, I tried to watch some like negative videos of people being like, this is why I couldn't live in a tiny house. And so I, you know, I watched all very smart. I was designing and building and I was like, how do I not get sick of this? You know? And if I ever was like, ah, this is crazy. I want to sell the building. I could, but I doubt it. It's so awesome. If I needed more space, I would just rent an art studio. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is your built in like Airbnb rental in perpetuity if you ever need one. 
It's gorgeous. Would love to stay in it. And uh, so did this tiny home, did the building of the tiny home come from or did did you like glean any insight from the trash temple that you built at Meow Wolf? Which came first? Yeah, so trash temple definitely came first. And I built the building with the same person that I did trash temple with. And so no way. Yeah, we would not have built this building without Trash Temple because we had already done this huge project together. And then it was like, okay, now I want to have this bus. And he was like, oh, well, I could help you build that out. And then it became, well, actually, no, I want this tiny house. And so then it became an art project and I did a Kickstarter and raised money. And so that's why I'm putting out these videos, which are going to come out this month. Or I'm like halfway done with the videos finally and a book, just like, a zine explaining all the steps and resources for people that would rather like read it or, you know what I mean? Like I just want, because I put in so much effort to learn all this stuff and I could not have done it without YouTube. All the videos that I watched, like completely necessary research. And so I wanted to give back as well and put my two cents in because what I built is totally different than anything else that's been done. Like, Sure, there's people that have like, you know, decorated their crazy house and people that have built tiny homes. But the way that I did it with the materials and the artistry and like, you know, building a tiny house with a fully functional art studio, like I had never seen that done before. And so I feel like I have something to contribute that's different that can be helpful to people. Even if people don't build theirs on a trailer, I still want people to question how much space do I actually need to be happy? And what am I sacrificing? What efforts am I putting in to achieve the lifestyle that I want? Because for me, now I live with my best friend in her backyard and I do work trade for rent because I was like, girl, I'm going to be house poor for at least a couple of years, like trying to, you know, because I didn't work for so long. And now it's like, I still have to like finish all these things on the house and, you know, and so, but my goal is to never pay rent again. I mean, I still have to pay utilities for like water and power and Wi-Fi, but like, you know, I put gutters on the house. So eventually I could be doing some water catchment and I installed, you know, places in the house where I could be using solar power whenever I get enough money and get that situated. So I try to design the house as like a lifetime investment and be like, okay, over time, you're going to want these things. Even if you can't afford them right now, you can still build them into the design of the home. Mm. And then as you get, get situated, then you can, you know, have these things, which will help you need even less utilities. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, it's definitely provides freedom in a certain sense and like security. And when so many people are like constantly getting kicked out of their living situations because, Oh, the landlord's selling the building or I got priced out or, you know, I broke up or I can't live with this roommate, you know, people, I just was like sick of moving. And I was like, I want to have some kind of security about where I live. And like, it was an art project. And so we'll see how it goes. I've only been living in it for six months, but it's been really great so far. And I'm really, really grateful to all the people that helped me. And, uh, yeah, grateful that I, in the process, learned how to use tools and, (laughs) not that I do everything myself, you know what I'm saying? Like I still need help for certain things, but I went up on the roof and installed my wood stove. Like I'm capable of looking at directions. I'm capable of using tools now. And so I was like, 
yeah, got to do this thing. You know what I mean? And so it's like, it's a live and learn process as is buying a home that already exists, you know, but with this being a professional organizer, I got to really design the home based on how I would live in it and how to make it the most functional and aesthetically pleasing thing. Your brain addressing all things, I feel like you see the puzzle and you're absolutely unafraid of it. And you're just really constantly tinkering and have the patience to see a project through to the end. And that is pretty fucking extraordinary in a world of um, people with attention deficit disorders. So. So yeah, truly, or people being like, "Oh, I don't know how I would do that," and I'm just like, "I don't fucking know how I'm going to do it either." But I'm here, I go, and so I feel like yeah, bow down same- to grandmother YouTube, <laughs> watch the tutorials. Don't yeah, be afraid. I'm just like I'm going to figure it out. Like, what am I going to do? Sit here and like not have anything, or am I going to put in the work, figure it out, make mistakes, and then you know keep going with it? And so I feel like if you're living in fear of someone judging you, or living in fear of oh, I could never do that. It's like, well, there you go. You're never going to do it. But if you're just like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I know this needs to happen and I'm just going to do whatever it takes to make it happen, you know, then you you get to have more experiences in life and they're not all going to be positive. I mean, shit, this house was really hard. There was a lot of tears, lots of lots of blood, sweat and tears. But also now like I have it. And so now it's like, okay, whoo, you're living in it. You're going to get everything hooked up eventually, but for now, at least you have a roof over your head. So right on no risk, no reward. Yeah. All right. So before we wrap this uh, bad baby up, I've got a question. I ask all interviewees, which is maybe it's a tangible nugget, a book, a quote, a movie, a something, or just a personal story that opened, expanded, or changed your mind. Is there you know, anything, a piece of poetry that you return to, to look at on a rainy day or anything like that? Yeah, I, I, um, actually the quote of my, at the the bottom of my email, my email signature quote by Albert Camus, the quote says, the only way to deal with an unfree world is to become so absolutely free that your very existence is an act of rebellion. And so I'm just like, yeah, the corporations are destroying the planet. For every one garbage can that you roll to the street, 70 bins worth of waste were created in the process of that. And so it all does feel trivial in a lot of ways. And it does feel like, what can we even do? These problems are so big. They're so interconnected. Like if if the fast fashion industry stops, then like millions of people will be without work. But like the work that they're doing is horrible. And like, are the people really satisfied by these cheap clothes that don't last very long? So it's like, it's all bad for everybody. But we have the option to like kill ourselves or keep going. And, you know, that's a hard, that's a hard decision a lot of the time, especially in this world where you're like, what is the point of keeping going? You know, I, I understand why people are like, I'm done. Peace out. This place sucks. Like, I understand why people would feel that level of despair and like, 
you know, lack of control to the point where they could be like, it's not worth it. And so every day I get up and don't kill myself. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, what is the point of keeping going? Because I could just be like, Oh, you guys have fun with this shit. Like I can't, I can't deal with it. But then it's like by tapping out, the world is still gonna, the world is still gonna be the same shitty world. And so I feel like, I'm like, well, let's try some stuff. Like, let me try and create a small influence on even just for my own self or like my own friend group. Like, let me try and do things in a different way. Not that, you know, not that wearing trash jewelry is going to save the world, but like in a small way, all these little actions, like you said, like for every time that you don't bring a straw, that's, that's one more straw that's not getting used. And that's other people seeing you doing it and making them aware of it. And so I feel that we have to just get up and do the best that we can each day in all these different dimensions, because it's like, it takes, it takes people attacking the issue from all sides. And so, especially as white people in America that just have like the most resources, um, and so many of the earth's, you know, problems and abundance flows in and out from this country in the way that mostly wealthy boomer white cis men um, conduct themselves in the world. And we're all just like the peasants below them. It's like, well, you know, in a world where it feels like just to bring it back to the quote where all of our freedoms are being taken away and like we have no control. It's like, how can we each create our own existence that is at least a vision of a possibility of a new way and let that ripple out and influence other people. Because if nobody, if no baker was like, I'm going to make gluten-free bread, then like there would be no gluten-free movement. And so it's like, somebody has to take a stand and like start doing something. And that something is certainly going to help some people. And you never know how it's going to play out over time, you know, like I don't see myself, I can't be aware of the influence I have on the world because I'm myself, but people tell me, Oh, you, you did this and you're so inspirational and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, cool. That's great. Like I'm just living like, and, and so seeing other people live has inspired me and working with other people has inspired me. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm doing my best over here. You're doing a damn good job. Firstly, just to touch on the gluten-free reference that you keep bringing up, this this little bitch with IBS is forever grateful for the gluten-free movement. <laughs> Secondly, yes, your impact and existence ripples out in more ways than you could possibly know. Thank you so much for the future impact that you will certainly have on all of our listeners. And could you let everyone know where they can find you on Instagram? And I know you also have things coming out on Patreon that I think people would love to check out. Yeah. So um, my name is Corinne Loperfito. That'll be spelled out in the description of this. And um, it's Corinne with one R and two N's. And basically if you type that in, you will be brought to my website, my Instagram, my Patreon, my SoundCloud, my Venmo, it's all the same. And so that is one benefit of having a unique name is that I can just, I didn't have to like pick a fake, you know, name or whatever. So yeah, on Instagram, Corinne Loperfito, I post all different kinds of stuff about, you know, I was covering the tiny house and I talk about sex and I talk about costumes, like really whatever is the theme of whatever the project is I'm working on, like 
as an independent artist, I'm always working on something different. And so, you know, that, that keeps my life interesting and it keeps my Instagram very varied. So you never know what I'm going to say. Um, <laughs> and then on Patreon, I have already like a whole, you know, multi lesson plan, um, thing called minimalism for maximalists, where I help people room by room go through. And it's kind of like, you know, there's a lot of influence from Marie Kondo. And also I've been doing personal styling and helping people go through their wardrobes and get rid of their clothes for probably about 10 years. And so, yeah, it's just like my experience with zero waste with, you know, what Marie Kondo has to say, but then also bringing an artistic and more political environmental standing than just like, you know, the Marie Kondo thing, which is if it doesn't spark joy, get rid of it. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, how you get rid you of could it? You could sew that. <laughs> yeah, it's a really big part of it. And so I, I encourage people to take responsibility, even though, like you said, it's definitely more time and energy when you're like trying to do things in a responsible way when you want to get rid of stuff. Um, yeah, I work with people one-on-one -on -one doing decluttering doula stuff, either in person, if we happen to be in the same place. Um, or virtually if people want to meet over FaceTime or something like that and just have me like, you know, do like a one or two hour, like jumpstart consultation where I'm like, okay, you know, try and get rid of this, try and get rid of that and just give them advice and ideas to help them with the process. Um, so all of those videos are already on Patreon where I go room by room and explain like my strategies and tips about how to get rid of stuff and deal with the emotional connection and you know, whatever. And then now, and there's some videos about making art out of reclaimed materials. And uh, now I'm about to release the tiny house videos. So that'll be probably like, you know, seven to 10 videos where I explain the process from start to finish and give people a bunch of resources and videos that I watched and stuff like that. So you can check all that out on Patreon and there's some stuff on Instagram and yeah, stay tuned. Uh, you never know what I'm going to do. I certainly don't. I don't either, which is, you know, I'm on the edge of my seat and I can't wait for what's next. Corinne, thank you so much. Artist, activist, all around fucking awesome. Thank you for your time. Be sure to support her art and we will talk to you soon. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Bye.